This episode of the Gondrepreneur Podcast is made possible by Dama Financial. Get access to a secure, transparent banking solution with Dama Financial. Secure your cash, make and receive electronic payments, and stop worrying that your account will be shut down for being a cannabis business. Protect your money with an FDIC-insured bank account and discover Dama's suite of sustainable, compliant financial products, including merchant processing. Schedule a free consultation at damafinancial.com today or call 877-401-3262. Dama Financial is an agent of its financial institutions and money transmitters. Hey there, I'm your host, T.G. Brandfault, and thank you for listening to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast, where we try to bring you actionable information and normalize cannabis through the stories of entrepreneurs, activists, and industry stakeholders. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about my home state of New York uh, with Brian Farmer and Andy Novick. They are board members for New York Small Pharma, an industry community working to ensure social and environmental justice for cannabis growers and supporters uh, in New York State. Andy is also an attorney and farmer, while Brian is also the co-founder of the Cannabis Conservative and he's making his second appearance on the podcast. How are you guys doing this morning? Great. Thanks for having us on. Thanks, Tim. Absolutely a pleasure. Uh, before we sort of get into uh, what your organization does and we talk uh, about New York, uh, why don't you give us sort of a brief background uh, on yourselves? How would you end up in the space? Brian, you want to start? <laughs> uh, well, sure. I'll do a quick one. Uh, been involved in organic agriculture for three decades, um, about uh, four and a half years ago, co-founded the Cannabis Conservancy, which is a sustainability uh, certification that has now moved international. Um, and we've been working on that on the ground very hard for four years. So that's how I came into the, quote, cannabis space, the industry as such. Um, so We've been really working around sustainability issues uh, in in this country um, in, in terms of our certification, and um, this seemed to uh, really link up with what Andy got started here, and I'm very interested, uh, because I live in New York as well, um, about how this is all going to play out. So we want to make it as sustainable as possible. Okay, my turn. So this is Andy. Hi. Um, I first started, I've, I've always been comfortable with cannabis, but I first really looked into it about seven, eight years ago when a really good friend got cancer. And then I was looking for alternatives. And at that time, I thought that cannabis was good for nausea and for stimulating appetite and found through my research that, whoa, it could actually kill cancer cells in certain situations and leave the good cells. And so I started paying attention and the medicinal benefits were extraordinary. And that was sort of it until about year and a half, almost two years ago, when the plant actually spoke to me during my meditation. And she said, uh, look, someone's got to do something. I don't have a voice. You have a voice. But they're about to lock me, well, increase the locking me in windowless warehouses. And I'm never going to see the light of day. And I'm going to be sprayed with all sorts of growth hormones and toxic chemicals. And Someone needs to say something. So I took it on. I'm not, I don't have a business. I'm an activist. And so I said, but I'm an attorney. And this was a natural trajectory for me because I'm a farmer. So I suppose the plant 
is my client. <laughs> and, uh, and I founded this organization about a year and a half ago and realized that the legislature was already last year, it was the third year they were taking up the issue of ending prohibition. And I was in there saying, wait, 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 you don't even mention that it's a plant in any of the statutory language. It's a crop, it's a plant, farmers should be growing it. And they were like, what do you mean? It's a drug. And so that took last year in trying to get over on them. And this year, I have to say, Brian and I have been up to Albany and we're all going back again this week and next week, we're really busy. And people aren't looking at me with the same three heads as last year just for mentioning it's a plant as opposed to a drug. Well, and I, and I, and I want to mention that, uh, you know, last year, just for the uh, listeners who don't know, New York did uh, vote on legislation um, and basically it ended up being uh, quashed in the Senate by largely downstate Democrats, uh, just, just so we are, are speaking the same language here. Uh, so tell me, what does your organization do and, and why is an organization with your mission important as New York eyes legalization this coming session? So our organization is really important. And sometimes we sit around the small group of us um, thinking about how in this great state of New York are we the only ones working on this, but there it is. Um, what's really important is we're no longer talking about is cannabis gonna get legalized? When's it gonna get legalized? It's going to happen, whether it happens now, which it looks like it will, or a year from now, isn't so much the issue for us uh, as how it's going to get grown. It's true that we want to end prohibition first and foremost, for, first and foremost to end the racial discrimination and the way in which prohibition has been enforced. And there's a wonderful coalition in New York that's doing that work, which freed us up to let go of that issue and just focus on the issues we focus on because nobody else is. And that is the planet, the environment, the plant, the soil, how the plant is grown. We advocate that in exchange for this license, the state require that the plant be as much as possible or as much as we can get out of it grown outdoors, including in greenhouses, but using the sun as energy and grown regeneratively and grown without any synthetic chemicals, any pesticides. Um, and that the, the greatest attention uh, be paid to craft farming. So we propose that 50% of the demand in New York, which is huge, be supplied by uh, small farmers outside and that the small business industry, whether it's farming or whether it's creating product or whatever, should that we want to see this $3 billion that New Yorkers are willing to shell out of their pockets every single year for cannabis. We want it recirculated in New York State by way of lots and lots of small farms and small businesses throughout the state. We do not want to see those $3 billion being dissipated in the pockets of a few large cannabis industries while our legislators fight over where the 300 million is going to go. That's the tax revenue off the projected 3 billion. We want to keep some of that money home and we want the plan grown consciously with respect for the planet. And I just want to add, it's particularly important in this industry. I would be saying this anyway, because all plants should be grown regeneratively. We, we've seen that industrial agriculture has wrought the damage that it's done to this planet, but particularly this industry, because people think that cannabis has to be grown indoors. Cannabis doesn't have to be grown indoors any more than tomatoes have to be grown indoors. But because people think that, that's where their mindset is. And the indoor cannabis cultivation industry is one of the most energy intense industries in the United States. And therefore it uses a huge amount of 
electric, fossil fueled electricity, but it, it's therefore putting out tremendous amounts of greenhouse gases. So if New York welcomes this new industrial cannabis industry, it's going to totally nullify any of its goals for reducing greenhouse gas emissions. So it's particularly important in this situation because of what we're about, what the state's about to invite into New York. Well, and in your conversations with lawmakers, uh, how have they sort of, have they been receptive to, you know, such a plan, say 50%? Because as we know, uh, the current medical makeup is all corporate corporations. And in other states, these corporations generally get, you know, the first crack, uh, these medical operators get the first crack uh, at these licenses. So, so how has your sort of proposal been received uh, in Albany? Well, what happened, it, it's true that, that in um, what, they, what they call here medical marijuana got in first, and it's true that their model was one of vertical integration, and that gives them all sorts of advantages. But it's also true that the, legislat the legislature seems to have recognized that that's not a good way to go about setting up the industry. So going forward, they're going to try to restrict vertical integration. So what happens with medical is going to happen with medical. You know, they've got a lot of money invested in this and they're not letting go of, of their domain. But what the new law is focusing on is who's going to be producing the so-called adult use, the non-medicinal, although frankly, the medicinal, non-medicinal is just a fiction. It's, it's not true. It's the same plant. But nonetheless, they're going to be focusing on, on that aspect. And what we've been saying is you can, you're regulating this. You're not even really legalizing it. It's not like once prohibition ends, everybody can start growing. It's all Correct. being regulated for tax Correct. purposes. Correct. Thank you. So what, so what we said is, hey, you, you have to limit the number of licenses you give to large canna. We get that you're like dying to suddenly supply all this demand in New York overnight, but you let them do, you know, limit the licenses so they don't get too big. And then make, have the other 50% of the licenses go to small farmers and craft growers and have absolutely no limit on the licenses that you give out to those people because we're trying to encourage small business opportunities in this new industry the state's giving birth to. And since these craft farmers will, by definition and by virtue of their license, only be able to grow a smaller amount, there's no risk that they're going to take over and consolidate the wealth. So we want to have as many people in New York growing regenerative, organic, and I don't mean organic with the, necessarily with the, with the, um, having to pay for what you need to, but, you know, just without pesticides and grown in a conscientious way, the way Brian knows how to make sure people grow this. And that's what we're asking the state to do. In terms of their reception, the only way it seems that they understand what I'm talking about is if I mention the craft industry. And then people's light heads, you know, this like you can see a light bulb will go off and they're like, oh, right. And so one of the things I've done, I, I drafted proposed legislation for the new bill. And I've called the uh the the what's the essentially the equivalent of a craft brewery or we have in new york we have craft breweries we have craft wineries we have meaderies we have what i figured out is if you add ery to the end of the word you get a craft business so i called them cannabisery <laughs> and i've said okay how about a cannabisery which would essentially be a micro license but it would be for a farm um and when i talk about it as a craft industry they're more open to it um, but, you know, the governor's language is coming out tomorrow. I don't think we're in there quite yet, but we have 90 days to get in there. 
So, so as, as we move towards legalization, you know, as you said, uh, we're, we're expecting uh, Governor Cuomo to uh, give us this information on the this podcast already exist. Um, but in other states, uh, you know, especially, I mean, California does include sort of energy efficiency uh, requirements, uh, but in most states, they don't include these regulations on energy consumption, you know, especially the early adopting states. Uh, why do you guys think that, that most uh, state cannabis legislation doesn't include these regulations on energy consumption, knowing very well that it's a very high energy uh, industry when you have to do it indoors? I, I think it goes back to, I mean, I, I, for the longest time, I haven't heard anyone who's pro-cannabis, which we are, talking about the energy problem. And I think that's because there's this acceptance, as I said earlier, that you have to grow this plant indoors. And so because they want to see cannabis not being a, a criminal issue anymore, they don't talk about it. But we talk about it because it really is important to the planet and because we have a really fantastic solution, which is let it, to be, let it be grown outdoors in the sun. But we have put in the statutory proposal language. We've learned from the experiences in other states. So for example, in Massachusetts, they put a cap on how much energy use it could be. And I think in Denver, they put a requirement that it, the energy use be offset 100% by renewables. I mean, all of which isn't good enough. The best solution is to just use the sun. Um, but we are talking about it. And of course, legislators do pay attention to that because that's not something they see a lot, the energy problem. What they're going to do with it, I don't know, but it's in there. It's in our proposals. Yeah, and it's it's interesting. Uh, states, well, especially Colorado, we did uh, two years ago, Cannabis Conservancy did a uh, uh, report for the Colorado Energy Office assessing the you know, the resource use, particularly energy uh, for the entire industry there, including black market, gray market, um, and adult use medical. And what what we discovered was what they had kind of known, but uh, the, the energy use in Colorado, particularly because they... Uh, by and large, until recently mandated indoor growing, um, the, uh, the the energy footprint just for the city of Denver is massive. Um, it's a huge percentage given it's just one industry. So now that the, the kind of metrics are coming out um, and uh, Evan Mills uh, just came out with a new study uh, as of a couple of weeks ago, um, who's a big, for people who follow energy in the cannabis space, he's been really on doing the research here. Um, he came out with another one looking at the national industry and the energy footprint. And it's, it's sobering um, for anybody that's got all their money invested in uh, indoor production. Um, you know, there's a lot of reasons, environmental reasons, why we should be looking at this very seriously. The other is, as the industry nationally kind of shakes out, the return on investment for some of these big indoor producers is going to be really screwy. Um, as the prices in general come down in the adult markets, um, that return on investment piece is not going to be there for them um, based on the huge amount of money they're putting into energy. So, there's a bunch of different ways to look at it, but 
we want to see some kind of forward-thinking uh, language in the law that uh, pushes people toward uh, outdoor production, but if they are already invested in the indoor production scheme, that they're doing more than just offsetting. There's a, there's a lot of other things they can do as well. So that's where we are with that. So let me ask you, how much of, of uh, the responsibility should the industry bear with regard to this energy problem? Should they be more forward thinking without the need for regulations? Are we seeing companies do that? Brian, well, you know companies are doing Yeah, to some degree, um, there are uh, indoor producers in, in a variety of states, uh, Colorado um, and Washington and Oregon, who have proactively you know, um, used only um, um, sustainably produced power. So they've got that. Um, I've actually seen indoor, small indoor operations in California that are using uh, only uh, green power. Um, they're actually doing rain catchment and only using rainwater that they catch for their indoor grow. It still looks like an indoor grow, but they're going about as far as you can to to increase the uh, efficiencies and sustainability. Um, and a lot of those folks are in it because that's they've been growing that way for 20 or 30 years by virtue of being in a, a situation where they were growing uh, in an illicit, illicit manner, so so to speak. So there is all of that energy and knowledge, frankly, that's invested in that style. And that's probably going to continue. Um, so there are people that are very proactive in that. But as an industry, and I'm, I'm, you see this all the time, there's the big money that's chasing um, these indoor spaces and, and that whole paradigm still. And I hope if states can push um, a, a real energy efficiency uh, model um, that it's going to push that investment money away from these massive indoor grows to smaller decentralized kinds of methods. Even if the money that's invested is coming from these big companies, they're not going after these massive operations. So I think the, the industry as a whole needs to really step up. Um, but it, it takes those big players to really do that and not greenwash it as well. So there's a lot of pieces that still need to be put in place. And, and in response to the beginning of your question, I, I absolutely think it's the responsibility of industry. I just don't know that certainly big industry is going to care unless the state requires it. But it, the reason it's the reason we're trying, maybe it looks different from your perspective, because I know you've just come into New York recently and because, you know, you you're, you have a much broader view of what's happening. But me... I'm a, I'm a, I'm a base New Yorker. Okay. Well, me as a total New Yorker, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, okay, for 100 years, we've been stuck under this industrial agricultural model that has done such damage. And I know the legislature earnestly talks about how can we cajole farmers to change their ways? How can we get them to grow differently? And they're looking at carbon tax credits. And I'm saying, if you're going to allow a plant to be grown for the first time in 100 years, the first time since we've been under this yoke of industrial agriculture, then don't 
don't repeat the mistakes we already know. We're trying to learn from the post-prohibition states uh, and of Canada of, of all the things that have gone down wrong, having waited this long. And these are the things we know. We know that the climate is, is in an emergency right now. We know what we shouldn't be doing. And we know we have to change things. So as you're about to authorize this new plant, Governor Cuomo and legislators, what's necessary is to do it differently and to do it right. And people have said to me, so why is it so important that cannabis be grown regeneratively as opposed to corn or tomatoes? And the answer is it's important that they all be grown regeneratively. The only reason we're singling out cannabis is because there aren't any regulations about it right now. It's all brand new. And so we're saying, get it right from the start. And if the state does that, then industry coming in won't have any choice. So what are you guys hearing overall from lawmakers regarding the 2020 session and legalization? I know that most of the people that, that I speak to are not anticipating uh, being able to grow their own, um, you know, and, and unsure of what licenses will be available. I know that, you know, you're pushing for, you know, sort of uh, the, these provisions that would give 50% of these licenses uh, to small farmers. Um, but what, what are you hearing uh, in Albany regarding some of these issues? Well, I have to say this year, people are much more responsive than they were last year. Last year, there was this mad dash to get what was called the MRTA um, passed. And the reason it was critically important was because it was necessary to end the incarceration of all of the people who have been used in the name of this war on drugs. Um, and because of that, I think, you know, that was the main focus and we couldn't get anyone to hear anything else. But this year, it seems like, OK, we the, the legislature gets that that's a necessary thing. We've got to stop criminalizing people. So what else can we think about? And and we've had so far really good sessions. And I have to say, in the email exchanges I've had with various legislative aides and people I've gotten to know over the year and changed that who are opening up, they're all saying, we really care about the environment. We really care about how it's grown. We really want to do this. Whether or not there's going to be the will to do it, we've got three months to, you know, hopefully make that happen. But there has been more of an embracing. And it could possibly be because we are intentionally meeting with the heads of the agricultural commissions and in, in, in departments in the both the committees, sorry, the agricultural committees at the assembly and at the Senate and people who would care about this stuff. And hopefully those people who care about the environment, care about the planet, will take a more active role in whatever legislation ultimately comes out of the budget this year. But up until now, no one's thought about it that way. It was literally just, oh, my God, our children are going to start driving stone and the police need more money to figure that out, you know, how we're going to stop them from driving stone. It, it's just been a fear-based um, response. It's, it's interesting to be at the cusp of uh, the end of prohibition when you're around a lot of people who don't know anything about cannabis and don't understand it and don't really... <clears throat> They're, they're just responding to the various fear-based misinformation that's been, I don't know, indoctrinated over the last century or so. But again, every year that goes by, more and more people are open to different information. And I've certainly had that experience this year where people are willing to talk about more than just the fears and talk about how it could be a real uh, opportunity to revitalize farming communities throughout the country, uh, well, certainly, but throughout the state. And then we have other proposals, which would take more time than this podcast to talk about, about how we could really make a seed to, the seed to sale journey be equitable in terms of who's growing it and who's 
how it's being supplied and where it's being sold ultimately. That, you know, we want to work together, but we need to be given the ground to do that. And that means we need to protect a piece of this ground for small growers and not just let Big Canna come in and take it all. So, I mean, we're all New Yorkers here. I mean, I've lived in and out of the state, you know, my entire 35 years. Um, and I covered the Capitol for Reuters uh, and for the Legislative Gazette for several years uh, when I still lived in Albany. And at that time, uh, you know, Colorado was going online. They're voting on it. Washington, uh, uh, Oregon. And I would look at my friends and my colleagues in the press and, and, you know, hear Cuomo, you know, we will not legalize cannabis. I have no interest in recreational. And here we are, uh, you know, into his third term and, you know, he's talking about it in two successive budget addresses, including it. Uh, did you guys, you know, as New Yorkers, did, did you, A, did you think it would be under Cuomo administration that this happened? And B, uh, what is your sort of reaction to being on the cusp of legalization uh, in, in this state? Brian, you want to try it or you want me to? Uh, sure. Well, you know, what, what I've learned in some of these meetings is that, you know, Cuomo is fair. Uh, for those who are not familiar with the kind of the, the political atmosphere, he's very concerned uh, about not looking bad. Um, he sees the where the winds are blowing. Um, he sees the states around New York legalizing, and he doesn't want to miss that opportunity. So I think he. He flipped pretty quickly based on all of those factors. Um, so, I, you know, he's a political animal for sure. So that that really, I think, that's my opinion, was the driving factor behind all of this. And, um, you know, we have a $6 billion budget deficit. <laughs> so, you know, people look at cannabis as somehow, you know, this massive pile of money that they're going to be able to extract tax revenue from. Um, yes, if it's done right, that can exi- that could exist. And I think that's another piece for, for Cuomo. Um, so it's kind of multifaceted, but um, it's a bit surprising to me that it's happening right now. But a lot of things I've learned in the past four years being involved with all of this um, is surprising in terms of how rapidly things are changing. It's the snowball is getting bigger all the time. And uh, so we'll, we'll see. Um, But, you know, in these meetings, we really heard about how, how it works, uh, which I always kind of assumed in New York, but the governor's office has a huge amount of power to craft how these things um, end up being put into, into law. So Andy, you want to take it from there? Um, well, I think it's, you know, part of a lot of legislators are afraid of uh, voting in favor of ending prohibition because they're afraid of what their constituents might think about it. So a lot of people think it has a much better chance of passing in the governor's bill where they could sort of get subsumed and they don't have to get identified that way. And given I wasn't involved until last year. For three years before that, both Crystal People Stokes and Liz Kruger were fighting really hard to do this. And when I came into it a year ago, uh, well, two years ago in in, uh, the fall of two falls ago, um, 
it was, I was new to what was going on and I was talking about it from a totally different perspective. And it was frustrating because nobody could hear it. But in the short year, as I said, people are hearing it. And now the conversations I'm having are about how it's grown and how that's going to impact the health and the environment. And so I th- I'm not surprised in that that's what education does. If you can avoid the polarization that exists around other things um, and people can listen to you, it, people have been listening. And so, of course, it makes sense that like other things in this country, once it gets into a different generation or different people speaking about it, it does change. And so I guess I'm not surprised. I, at this point, would be surprised if it didn't pass. But I really want to see it pass with respect to the planet and respect to the plant. I think that's critical. I think if we don't get in in the first few shots of this, that we're not going to make it. Because once the experience of other states is once Big Canna comes in and does its Thing, it's very hard to change the way, just like we have to change the ways farmers grow from industrial to regenerative. That's why we really want to get it right from the start. So to the extent you have a New York audience, we really need people to check out our website and help us because we are a very small group for a very big state doing something that's extremely important for the planet. And we need everybody else to get behind it. Do you think that sort of the the energy proposal, are, are they being uh, a, a little more accepted by, I guess, you know, sort of the uh, maybe the Republicans who might not be on board that are safe from the districts that I live in. Um, I know that Elise Stefanik uh, is my representative. Unfortunately, uh, she's she's not going to, she wouldn't vote for it. Um, but but do you think that, that these energy proposals that are included or these, these licenses for smaller farms uh, do you think that, that that those would help sway sort of the the Republicans, upstate Republicans who might oppose this? Or do you think it's cannabis? It doesn't matter what we try to do to, to help that economy. Well, that's precisely what we're trying to do this year, which is to talk to people at a place where they can hear us. So whether it's talking to people who care about the environment or people who care about the agriculture or people who care about their rural communities or wherever it is, we're trying to bring that information so that it's not just, oh, cannabis, I don't want to talk about cannabis. Uh, You know, like cannabis is bad. I can't talk to you. We're trying to come in a different way because the issues you've raised about the electrical consumption um, or the licensing, if people aren't are opposed to cannabis, you never get to those issues. No, you know, even with people who aren't to it, it's those are like down the road that you get into those issues um, as much as we try to bring it to the forefront. But with Republicans who we've largely stayed away from, but, you know, again, there's just a few of us and we're trying to talk to some of them. And if there were more of us, we talked to all of them. But talking about um those issues that I've mentioned already, the environment, the agriculture, but also this other issue, which for reasons I don't understand falls on deaf ears, which is everyone's fighting over these 300 million in taxes. And I'm talking about, well, what about the billions coming in? Don't you want to get those billions going into your community? And I'm hoping people that care about their communities that need some, you know, a shot in the arm will look at the potential that for this 3 billion coming in annually and and try to take it for their communities by way of small businesses. But that one, I haven't gotten a lot of traction on so far. Yeah, it's actually, it's, um, we are going to be doing some uh, events in um, Southern Tier, Western New York, um, 
and and hopefully that'll you know attract some folks. But I think there's a couple things. One is that the that the hemp um, industry and the way it's grown in New York has been a real big foot in the door and opening up people's minds no, around how this can fuel the farm economy, um, not just uh, you know big. Um, consolidated producers um, who are in the medical program. This could this could really open it up um, in communities that are already oriented towards agriculture. Um, but there's you know, there's education and and other kinds of things that need to happen there. And uh, we've had conversations around how that can be a driver for some of these rural communities. Um, one idea is to set up. Um, with with some state support um, hubs in various places in the um, state that can be um, centers for education and innovation in those communities that support a new um, cannabis-based agricultural industry. So there's a lot of ways that the state could work with communities to really get this launched in a very um, organic quote <laughs> way on the ground um, and, and, and and away from that consolidated kind of approach. Um, there are companies that are already in New York um, who I won't mention, but they're large multinational cannabis businesses who are pushing a certain kind of agenda and model. And I think, you know, our platform is, is more oriented towards uh, decentralization and empowering more growers and, and business related to those growers in rural communities. So there's a lot of opportunity, but it really is a big paradigm shift for a lot of conservative politicians. They just, there's not a lot of vision there. So as you lay this out, it's like, oh, <laughs> yeah, that could maybe that could happen, but it's just it's a lack of uh, vision in in a lot of ways. That's right. I'm glad Brian mentioned the what we call the resource hubs because that's something that it's that's like the last thing we get to talk about typically when we're meeting with legislators. But that that's going to be necessary for the state to invest some money because what you're looking at is these large, well-financed counter industries and then small growers who've been growing vegetables and tomatoes or nothing, you know, or want to get into this industry, there's just no way they're going to be able to compete with such well-financed machines that have this model that they keep rolling in state after state. So unless the state is willing, New York state is willing to level the playing fields, we're going to, it's, it's not going to succeed. But were the state to do that, to do these resource hubs, it would be such a huge benefit. And it would, it's so short-sighted to not look at it because the state will only benefit from this. The state will be providing jobs, well, good jobs, and we'll be learning as we go and we'll be enabling all sorts of people to come into this industry and we'll be able to receive a lot of the financial benefit that it's so desperate for. It's such a win-win, but it's hard to get the state to. Could you, could you, could you elaborate a little bit on what these resource hubs well, look like? Well, what we've said is that, and this has been true of farmers for a long time, is that 
individual farmers, small farmers do best when there's some kind of cooperative structure that assists them, whether it's in providing the seeds or providing know-how or having an opportunity for collaboration and, you know, learning from each other or having a built-in way to sell. You know, you can sell to the co-op and then the co-op, as we've envisioned it, this farmer co-op should be vertically integrated so it can do all of the things for all of its many members, whether it's processing it into some oil or into whatever, whether it's selling it, and, and, and individual farmers can choose to participate in, in, in various levels, but it creates that structure as that people who are first coming into the industry and don't necessarily know how to do a lot of this, branding, packaging, the regulations, which is a very high bar, it, it, it supports them in being able to do it. So if we want to support small farmers, we have to create that structure. And allowing it to just be self-created co-ops probably over time would work, but not with this pressure of big Canada coming in and taking it all over. So to level that playing field, we've asked the state to support at least five resource hubs, which are essentially farmer co-ops that would be strategically located throughout the state. And th those would be these learning centers that Brian talked about. They could be for genetic researching. You know, we, we don't have the right seeds necessarily for growing in the Northeast, and we have to develop those. What works with our climate. There's so much we're learning to know. With, with hemp, I know Cornell has taken the lead on some of that, but Amazing no one program. is taking the lead on it with cannabis. Uh, with the, They're both cannabis, excuse me, but with the cannabis that has a little bit more THC in it. And so we're, but we could do it. We have enough farmers and we have enough know-how. We have organizations, but we need the state to support this some or we can't compete with the money that's going to be coming in. I mean, what's interesting to me is is what you just sort of described is a byproduct of uh, what what was enacted several years ago, the I Love New York uh, program. Uh -huh. um, and I, I just think about how amazing it would be to show up uh, to an I Love New York sponsored like craft cannabis event, oh, right? It would, absolutely. It would be wild. Um, I'd also love to smoke a joint with Cuomo, but that's, uh, that, that's one of those sort yeah. of high in the sky things. Uh, so... Uh, so tell me, guys, what advice would you have uh, for New York entrepreneurs uh, who are looking uh, or considering to get into this space, you know, that we're right on the cusp of? Well, I know, Brian, you can take a crack at it. I would say okay. I'm not interested in what large entrepreneurs are doing, but I am interested in what small entrepreneurs could do. And what I think they should do is be joining with us to try to get this legislation first, because without the legislation, there won't be opportunities for small entrepreneurs. And then after the legislation, there's first going to be a year or two during which we fight over regulations, which really impacts what the industry is going to look like. So if you want to be part of the industry, you need to be in making sure that industry exists right now. Brian, you have a different take? Well, I, I mean, the one that I, just because I've spent time in a bunch of other states, particularly California, um, for those people that are true entrepreneurs, want to come into the New York industry and support small growers is to do something that has been happening in California. Um, and it's actually creating um, these alliances or co-ops in California, they're called alliances, um, that are essentially uh, grower co-ops. Um, the, the investor comes in and has kind of 50% ownership of a, a common brand that all of the growers can 
um, market through, and then the the growers own half of the the equity in the venture so that they're all sharing in the profits, but the folks who actually have the bigger money can come in and help set up things like processing, um, kind of like what, uh, you know, a, a, a state-supported hub would look like maybe on a smaller scale with, you know, 30 to 50 small growers so that they're able to create a brand and, and uh, do it that way. What might happen, and I haven't seen a lot of public movement on this, but I have heard some stuff in uh, backroom uh, conversations is that some of the multi-state um, brands that are touting their um, uh, support of small farms, um, organic production, and things like that, those producers, and I won't name them because I'll get into trouble, but people can do their own research. Um, some of those folks are are looking very hard at New York and look once the the legislation is passed, looking at being able to come in and start offering growers opportunities to develop these uh, co-ops or alliances. And I see that as a way to be able to launch and support the the craft growing techniques, um, but not um, leave the the responsibility and the onus solely on each one of those individual growers, because that's going to be a stretch for a lot of folks getting into it. So um, there's a there's a number of ways that that could happen, but it's got to be folks who are coming in really supporting the, the notion that we need to grow it in a certain way and support an industry that's very broad-based. And I think those entrepreneurs are out there. Um, I think uh, well, that's that's the the type of uh, entrepreneur I would like to see um, coming to look at New York. Yep, you're absolutely right. That would be the alternative to the state supporter. But someone's got to support the small growing movement because it's just too much money on the other side. No, and I hope you know. Again, I you know, as people who listen to the show know, I live in very, very rural part of the state, uh, which is heavy on you know farming, and we're, we're and not only are we sort of facing a crisis of of. Uh, you know the the climate crisis that's associated, but the the lack of second, third generation farmers uh, keeping these farms going, and this might also provide an opportunity for uh, the next generation to say, "Hey, we have this land. Hey, I like cannabis." You know, and mm-hmm. and, and maintain that family farm uh, in a perfect world. You know, right. yeah. No, that I think that's. I mean, that's my vision, and and it you know it has like the. The craft brewery, um, you know, the on-farm brewery model um, that's really been super successful in New York and has really supported um, a lot of struggling small farms that kind of got into this, and it's been a real boon for them. I mean, it's it's kept some of these older family farms going when they wouldn't have otherwise. Well, in my in my tiny little mountain town, we have one business, and it's a brewery. <laughs> so so i mean i would love i would love for our next business to be a dispensary that would be fantastic or to be a cannabisery cannabis okay, that, that 
would also be fantastic if, if if they sold cannabis like within walking distance from my house. Uh, I, and, you would, and you would know your farmer because he'd be she'd be growing it and you know and selling it off the farm. Knowing your farmer, you know how important that is, right? Yeah, yeah. So so uh, where can people find out more about you, uh, more about your uh, your organization? Well, NewYorkSmallFarmer.org is the website, and there's a lot on there about, we have a platform, we have a plat, that's only two pages, so you can read it. We have a platform that we've inserted statutory proposed language in. We have lots of documents, because I'm a lawyer, I write a lot. (laughs) (laughs) But but there's a lot on there, and, and we will be adding to it, and it would be great if people signed up for our email, because at least weekly, we send out an email, especially right now, while everything's moving very fast. And again, I just can't say it enough that people need to get involved in this because otherwise it's going to pass. And the option you're going to have is like they're having in Canada now, you know, crappy, expensive, fast grown stuff. And, you know, or you'll continue to buy illegally, I guess, but you won't have the option unless we fight for it now. So I want to thank you guys so much for coming on the show. Andy, I, I really hope uh, that uh, you'll be a guest again and we can sort of talk about some of, uh, you know, how lawyers are preparing and other issues that we couldn't get to. Uh, thank you guys so much uh, for being on the show. All right. Thank you for doing this. Appreciate it. Thanks, Tim. That was Brian Farmer and Andy Novick. They're board members for the New York Small Pharma, F-A-R-M-A. It's an industry community working to ensure social and environmental justice for cannabis growers and supporters in New York State. Before I sign off, I just want to note quickly, I am aware that uh, Elise Stefanik is not a state representative. I just wanted to sort of illuminate the type of representatives that we have in the North Country. Uh, You can can find more episodes of the Gontrepreneur.com podcast in the podcast section of Gontrepreneur.com and in the Apple iTunes store on the Gontrepreneur.com website, you will find the latest cannabis news and cannabis jobs updated daily along with transcripts of this podcast. You can also download the Gontrepreneur.com app in iTunes and Google Play. This episode was engineered by Trim Media House. I've been your host, T.G. Brandfault. Gontrepreneur.com.